Hello and welcome to the Trapping Today podcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood. It's great to have you here. Thanks for tuning in. The podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. Check out K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com, Cots Bros with two A's. For all your trapping supply needs, they have baits and lures, uh, books, DVDs, traps, um, a whole wide variety of trapping supplies. They also have a newsletter that you can sign up for there on the website. And they have a rewards program where basically every order that you place, every dollar you spend is going to get you points uh, that equates to 5% off of your purchases. So great guys to do business with and thank them for supporting the podcast by ordering and supporting Cots Brothers Lures. All right, tonight I have uh, another part of my interview with Ron Jones, a trapper from New Jersey and trapping instructor, uh, ADC guy, um, wildlife control and bait and lure maker, and he makes wildlife calls. Ron just, he's got all kinds of stuff going on, and he's an incredibly knowledgeable trapper. He really, really makes you think. And uh, in this episode, we, he continues to make me think about different things. And we talk about uh, advanced dog-proof trapping. So going from you know where I'm at with the basics of DPs, where you basically just bait the thing and set it out in a likely location, Ron talks about how he takes it to the next level and uses DPs uh, in similar fashion to the way a lot of people would trap with footholds. Um, and then we talk about snaring, different types of locks, talk about animal behavior, how they move through a snare, and then Ron offers me some advice and suggestions and thoughts based on what I do in my under ice beaver snaring. Uh, so it was a really good uh, interview. I enjoyed talking with Ron and I learned a lot and I hope you will too. So let's get into the episode. I wanted to talk about uh, dog proofs a little bit. And, and sure. The reason being, um, my limited background with dog proofs is just basically walk over to a, a spot where there's coon activity, pop it in the ground, uh, put some bait on it, um, anchor it down, walk away. And I never thought about dog proof trapping the way that, that you have talked about it. Um, you, you have, uh, I think you've described a number of different types of dog proof sets where it, it just goes way beyond um, what most people think of with DPs. There's another hot bird there. <laughs> I, I, I had a gentleman uh, last year at the Big Fest. He was sitting there at the fire, and after he got to know me, uh, he looked at me with a big grin on the face and said, Why in the friggin' heck are you doing all this bullcrap? <laughs> okay. And I've come to get to know him pretty good now, and, 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 Get, we talk on the phone a lot, but here, here's what you just described is the 80 percenter. And let me tell you what, for 80 percent, um, do it. All right. You're a fur trapper. You're moving. You're production trapping. It takes you, what, 15 seconds to get that sucker. If, you, if you're smart and you load up that, that, set that DP before you even do anything, have them all baited and set in the back of the truck, you just grab it, you walk down to your spot, you drive your stake or, or tie around your, your root or whatever, however you're going to anchor it, plop it in, put your little squirt of lure on it and move out. Man, you, you, you got it. You got a production system there. And if you got a ton of coon, okay, if you got a ton of coon, you don't change from it. And I'm the, and, all right, everybody listening to me? 
do the stupid set when it works. Okay. <laughs> yes, no, 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 everything's within context. You always right. got to be thinking. <laughs> so, so you boys is going to bash me pretty hard on this one. Uh, yes, I, I do the stupid set. I do the stupid set. Okay. <laughs> All right. But when I need to catch those big coon, or I see the stupid set is no longer working, I'm going to go to, to the advanced to the advanced systems. Okay. And the advanced systems is nothing more than me sitting down. Bob Noonan said to me, Jones, do you set up all night thinking about this stuff? And I said, <laughs> no, I don't set up all night awake. I dream about it though. You know, we'd laugh about it. But, um, you know, anything that I could do with a foot trap and I can't use a foot trap in New Jersey. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can use it in PA, which I have. I've done it down in Texas. I've done it down in, uh, uh, up in New Hampshire, I've been, you know, other places. Um, but in New Jersey, I can't use the, I can't use a foot trap. But what I've started to see, and again, we're going to go back into my phases of a raccoon, okay, and, and all that stuff, going back into behaviors, not habits. Yeah. Okay. Um, I call it fox tra- fox trapping coon. In other words, I, I, I went back to my old, Fox trapping days with the foot traps, and I just applied the same principles to my coon with a DP trap, and I just used a DP trap. For example, um, every fox trapper cusses the coon. Why? He can't keep him out of his freaking dirt holes, correct? Mm-hmm. And where is he catching them at? Is he catching? Is he putting a dirt hole down along the stream, or is he putting a dirt hole up on the up on the field edge? Yep, he's on the field edge. He's on the field edge. So right off the get-go, you know, I tell guys, yeah, most of my coon are coming from up top, not down at the bottom. And, that, and that's the truth, okay? I'm, I snare my coon on the edge of the field, or I, or, I, or I catch my coon in my DPs or my cages up on the edges of the field rather than down by the water. Mm-hmm. But anyway, getting back to the dirt hole, um, I just simply got the idea in the off-season, but who, by the way, okay, I wasn't using DP traps. I was using PVC tubes just okay. to, to see my point because as a bait-and-lure manufacturer for for 100 years, what have I used to test my raccoon baits and lures? PVC tubes. I could load up the, t- the PVC tube with, with bait, and before the cameras came along, we would clear a circle, a three to four foot circle around that tube, shove the tube down into the soil, fill it up with bait, and then I would see how long it would take the coons to empty that bait out. And that would tell me how good the bait was and and uh, in my bait testing, okay? Mm-hmm. The DP trap is nothing more than that. But what I would start to do is I would take this tube in these areas and I'd, I would put a tube sticking up so it could be seen and I would put a tube down in the ground so it couldn't be seen. Like a dirt and what I started to see was more coon was hitting the ones that you couldn't see than they was hitting the ones that you could see, which said, why? How'd that happen? All right. Because you're applying method to what? Natural behavior. What's a coon always doing when he's rooting through the woods? He's looking for those little crevices and cracks. And... He's digging down. He's pulling things out. He's, he's flipping rocks. 
he's checking out the little holes under the trees. He's checking out the dirt holes that, that you had for the fox, and there's no more traps there. Okay, that's a natural, that's a natural curiosity in the habit and the behaviors of the coon. They got to investigate this stuff. My grandfather, for, again from Oklahoma. My grandfather from New Jersey trap too. My grandfather from Oklahoma was born in 19 or 1898. He was born in West Virginia and he moved to uh, Oklahoma in about 1909, I guess it was. And my grandfather here in New Jersey was born in 1907 and he was trapping muskrats and what have you in the early teen. You know, by, by the time he got 10, 15 years old, he was, he was trapping muskrats and what have you. So both of them gave me ideas, old, old, old world trapping techniques. Yep. The things they taught me now, we would never dare try to teach anybody <laughs> how to do that stuff. <laughs> but my grandfather from Oklahoma talked about a raccoon that he that you could take a, a crayfish and put it down in, in, a, in a mason jar and put the lid on just loose. And that that raccoon would work that mason jar with that crayfish in there um, until he figured out the movement of the lid. Okay, now he wasn't, he wasn't saying i know this lid screws off so therefore i'm gonna take the lid off that's not the raccoon doesn't think that way but a raccoon understands movement mm -hmm. so in other words when the raccoon by accident felt the movement of the lid what's the raccoon do continues with that movement mm -hmm. that's how come raccoons can can take locks the, the bungee cords off of trash cans and stuff <laughs> all right they don't know to do that but once they learn to do that they continue on with doing that and then he would tell me it was the he, he said, "Well, the, ra the raccoon would do is get the lid off, reach in, grab the crayfish, kill the crayfish, maybe eat half of it, and walk on off. Just lost its interest." <laughs> All right. I started to apply those old as a 10, 11, 12 year old kid talking to my grandfather's. Started to apply that to the mindset of the DP trap. Okay, why? Because I've got it on camera, and every every dog on dog proof trapper out there knows this. This is a truth. You will, you will have three, four, five days of bam, 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 you're catching every stinking coon, and then all of a sudden, coon are walking right past them. The 20s that are left? That's, that's it, okay. right? Now, why are they, why are they walking past the, uh, the dog-proof trap? Maybe it's because every time they walk past through before... <laughs> There's a coon yeah. in it. <laughs> There's a coon in there, okay? <laughs> and, 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 you know, I ain't no dummy. <laughs> I'm not afraid of that thing, and I don't know what that thing is, but I know I ain't put my hand in there, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, and, that's, and, and there's truth to that because, especially boys down in Texas and boys out in the Midwest, on the deer feeders, they'll talk about 20, 30 coon in these feeders, and they'll go in and they'll they'll set their dog proofs up, and they'll make a massive catch. Say they have uh, seven dog proofs at the feeder, and they go in and they catch three or four coon out of those seven dog proofs the first night. Mm -hmm. Second night, they catch two or three, and then the third night, they don't catch any. Yet the coon are still at the feeder. Um feeding and, and well, i said to the little boy i said um okay now now think about this you've got 10 15 20 coon at a feeder at the same time correct yeah i said and mr coon puts his paw in that this puts his foot into that uh, dog proof and it goes off what's the coon do right and the gentleman you know, silence on the phone okay 
And he goes, well, he gets caught. And I said, yeah, but what's he doing when he first gets caught? He's exhibiting what? Stress. Negative. Negative behavior. Yeah. Okay. He's caught. He's growling, biting, doing whatever. Fighting this son of a gun trap. Okay. All the other coons that's, that's in that vicinity look over. What's wrong with you? Okay. All of a sudden, George over there, and I and I never put human things in animals, but it's sometimes it's funny. You know, well, George over there, now he gets caught. Now he's exhibiting negative uh, behavior. <laughs> okay. And they both uh, have these bracelets around them. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking at that saying, dang, that dude's got a bad attitude here, right? <laughs> No, they're not. They don't know what that trap is. They're not afraid of that trap. The next night comes back, and the same thing happens with a few more coon. Well, they they, they just say, you know what? Maybe I just won't put my finger in there. <laughs> yeah, there's other food around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, are, are are they are they rationally thinking this stuff through? No, they're not. They're being animals. Yeah. They're saying there's negative behavior there. <laughs> okay, that sucker acts like he wants to get out of there, and he can't get out of there. So maybe I'll just be negative. I won't do this. Now, when I tell people to do in those situations, pull all your traps. They say, what? They say, pull all your traps for a week. Go back and set your traps in and see what happens. And they go back in a week later and they set the traps in and you get your bam, 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 the first night catch again. And second night catch you like that. Okay. So there must be some truth to what I'm saying. I don't know exactly. I've never been able to talk to the coon, but there must be truth to this because they don't remember long term because the negative didn't happen directly to them. Mm-hmm. Is that making sense to you? Yeah. Now, if they put their finger in there, or they put their paw in there, and they was able to pull out, now that negative has a direct implication to them. That's why you know when you catch a uh, a coon in a, in a in a DP trap and he gets out a lot of times, you know some of the dumber, smaller ones, you can see. And, I, and this year and last year, I've seen it. You know where. He got his first one foot caught, and then he got his next foot caught in the same stupid DP, you know, a week later. But for the most part, your bigger 20 percenters aren't that dumb. They start to say, don't understand it, not afraid of it, just going to avoid it a little bit. Yeah, they've got so to be traps, old for a reason, right? Yeah, that, so that trap's sticking up above the ground, okay. They say, mm, maybe I'll just avoid that. Now. I have noticed that if I take that trap and move it 10 feet down one way or 10 feet down the other way and stick it in the ground, I will have another catch flurry, okay? But why do that when I can go in and put it in a pocket set or a dirt hole set, or I call them a no-seam set, or a mound set, and and just continue right on along because they never seem to get smart to that. You, you follow what I'm trying to say to you? Yeah, I, I wonder if they could... Could they get smart to a dirt hole eventually? Or I guess if they get caught and pull out and get caught and pull out, but but when that coon comes back through, so, okay, so say I have a, a a dirt hole that the trap is set. And there's a certain way you got to put that 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 the DP trap down into a dirt hole, and and brother, I tell you what, I learned that the hard way. Really, uh, <laughs> but you know, you put that trap down in that dirt hole and you and you get that animal caught, okay. And that, that coon is sitting there and he's struggling or whatever. And, and this coon walks past him. He looks at him and says, I wish you hadn't done that, huh? And continues <laughs> on walk. Well, when he goes back and, 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 and the next circuit trip, 
whatever time that is, okay, there's not a trap sticking above the ground. Something obvious. It's just a hole in the ground. Yeah. I mean, how many holes do they look at that's got smell as it smells into it? Yeah, it's nothing different. Yeah, that's a good. There's point. nothing yeah. different. So he gets caught. Okay, pocket sets. I love pocket sets along streams. And what I found in a lot of my uh, setting up of DPS is the stupid set will usually catch faster first. Okay, but they're usually younger coon. Mm-hmm. But if you leave, say I put a pocket set in and a stupid set, and I leave it in for X amount of time, that advanced system usually will outperform in the end the stupid set. Usually, with the exact same baits and lures in both of them, and they may be only ten feet apart. All right, mm-hmm. but usually the advanced system will outperform. Um, the, the, the standard, stick it in the ground, get it going. Up on the fields, it definitely will outperform the, uh, the, the trap sticking up out of the ground. Yeah. Um, just, just because you're, 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 you're adding a lot of curiosity. You're adding a lot of, you can't have it. Uh, what's the, what is it? The mound set is a great set, you know, where you take the dog on uh, trap, you stick it in the ground like you do the stupid set, but you pile a bunch of grass or leaves or hay over top of it. Um, and he's got to start rooting around in that hay. To, to, and there's a certain way to do that off. And then again, we can't go into detail on that because it's just too long. But, <laughs> you know, once you understand the, the philosophy of it, okay, he's rooting around trying to smell, trying to find this smell or whatever. And then he reaches in and then when he finally finds it, okay, what's he going to do? <laughs> I got you away. I mean, just like that crayfish in a jar, yeah. you know, re- immediately he reaches in and grabs it. You've worked that hard. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you go if you go over, I don't know if you're on Facebook or not, but if you go over on Facebook to my uh, Rednecks Pride uh, uh, Game Calls and Outdoors uh, Facebook page, I've got a video of a raccoon coming up with a PVC tube with bait in it, and he's just digging the heck out of it. Okay, because when he walks up, he just continually is continuously digging. That's what you're trying to get the animal to do with these DPS. Okay. Uh, you want them to keep digging because there are going to be coon that's not going to pull up on that trigger. All right, they're, they're, I have and I have it using, on camera. You're using uh, just pull trigger deep. I have to. I have okay. to in my state. Um, I like push pull systems, but on the same token, um, I've had more pullouts with my push pull systems. That's probably because of me. In other words, you know, because I'm setting my traps a certain way with. Uh, with uh however whatever i'm doing that's working for the pull systems when i can use the push pull systems over in pa and all that uh i was i was getting more 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 uh, misses or pull outs okay so yeah and that's a good point to tell people you know um they're it's all situational it, it all depends just because you use this one method doesn't mean it's going to work in someone else's situation Correct. I correct. think when, I, the big thing is that whole thought process that's going through your head when you're when you're going through this. Yeah, you know, because there's little things that you know when you get when you get into uh, certain things, you know, it's just like you hand me a snare with any lock on it, and I'll make it work. All right, that's absolutely. You you hand me a snare with whoever's lock you want on it. I don't give a who whose lock you give me. Within five minutes, I'll have figured out how to make that sucker work the best I can. All right. With that being said, 
I have locks and systems like my the system I make for my snares. Obviously, I can produce better with my snare that I make than that snare you gave me. Why? Because I'm more familiar with it. I'm more confident with it. I'm, I'm, I'm my my style um, works with that system. All right. Now you give me enough time with this other lock. I hate L locks. I hate them with a passion. I cannot stand L locks for, okay. for cable. Okay. Did I mention I hate L locks? Um, <laughs> but if that's all I got, I'll catch a coyote or I'll catch a fox with them suckers. When, okay. Uh, is an L lock? Are you referring to like what you'd use for a drowner rig? Yeah. Yeah. You know, back when the, when when cable one snaring first started, you had the bent washers. Which was an L, which was an L lock. Okay, I hate to put it that way, but it was. It was better than an L lock because you had more surface, so you didn't get the fur damage that you would. Uh, but they was they're, they're slow. They're super, super slow, and that's where you know when you're talking to guys today about washer locks, they say, "Ah, them junks." My super relax is a washer lock. That sucker is just as fast as a slim lock. It locks up just as easy as a slim lock. Um, but it's because we've we've figured out how to take a, a washer lock, which is good because you have surface area around it, mm -hmm. okay? It doesn't cause the fur damage as, say, a mini lock will in a belly. You catch a coon with a mini lock or you catch a coon with my with a washer lock on the belly, you're not going to have the fur damage with the washer lock as you will with the uh, the mini lock. just digs in. It's just not normally going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, so... But the point going back to it is, all right, I'm more comfortable with my system, but I know snaring well enough that I can make whatever you give me, I'm going to make it work. Hmm. And you'll never hear me say, ah, that junk piece of junk, you can't use that thing. I'm, you'll never hear, hear me say that. You'll hear me say, I really don't like it, but if that's all I got, let's make it happen. You know, you don't even need a lock. I was talking to a guy the other day. You don't even you don't even need a lock on a snare or or cable restraint to make it work. Look at look at the look how yeah, the, the Native Americans the used to and and, and and yeah and and, and the uh, the Eskimos and, and the people down in South America the, the folks down in South America on those crashed airplanes they would take the cable off they 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 was able to fashion snares to catch small animals to to, to feed the family yeah all right. Uh, look at the Indian. Use rawhide, right? You don't need a lock. The lock just makes it a better system. <laughs> you know, it just makes it a better system. It's amazing how how much there is to how simple it can be and how complex it can be at the same time. It's simple, and even the complex is simple once you once you get to that point. Um, at the trapping school, Newt, and, and you know, Newt and I run the trapping school together, okay? Yeah. Um, at this last class, you know, we, we was talking, and, 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 and somebody said, uh, this stuff isn't rocket science. And now we're all advanced strappers there, okay? There's, you know, the average strapper had 20, 25 years strapping. So we, was, we didn't have spring chickens with us. And they said, this stuff, you know, and the, and the statement was, you know, this isn't rocket science. And I said, no, but at one time it was. <laughs> yeah. Every new trapper starts off at the same place. What the friggin' heck do I do? <laughs> okay. yeah. 
this is complicated. All right. When you first start out, this is extremely complicated, whether it's learning how to bed a trap or where to put the trap, where to hang a snare to make an animal put his head through there. Okay. It is complicated, but as we learn and as we progress and as we get better, the complicated isn't as complicated anymore. Why? Because we've learned it. Yeah. Okay. And we assume, and this is, we assume, oh, that's simple, but not to someone who hasn't gone through that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I go into a lot of detail. That's why I'm probably going into too much. You probably didn't expect it to be this long, and I'm talking your ear off tonight. <laughs> yeah, we may we may break this up into two episodes. This will be good. Well, yeah, and, and and you know that's my podcast was always two hours plus long because when you got a good when I got a good guest on them things, you let them roll, man. Yeah. Because you know once they get in the roll, they're going, and, and there's a lot of information that's given out. But again. You know, me, I've got 50 years of trapping behind me. I've got almost around 40 years of, of ADC work for me. Yes, a lot of this stuff in my brain is simple. Why? Because I've been there, done that, and done it a thousand times. All right? But to that brand new old boy or girl, this stuff is confusing as all heck. I got a trapping course for Saturday and Sunday. I already told you that, right? Yep. The number one question I'm going to be asked is, what size loop do I hang? The answer is whatever size loop's going to fill the uh, the um, the trail. Okay, now within reason there is there is limitations to that, but on the same token, if I got a fox running down the trail, and it's a tight trail, I may only need a a six or a seven inch loop. If the trail is more open, I may need an eight inch loop. Okay. Yeah. Or I may even go a nine inch loop if that thing, but What's going to change is as my loop gets bigger, I've got to look at my distance from the walking surface to the bottom of the loop. All right? Because if you get an eight or a nine inch loop set seven inches off the ground and you don't have a foot in front and a foot in back, what we call a stutter step, chances are that red fox is going to leap right on through that eight inch loop because it's a clear, it's, he sees the loop and, 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 and this, this makes me laugh. People say uh, they don't see the snare. Bull crap. They see the snare. They just don't acknowledge the snare. Is that making sense to you? Yeah. Uh, maybe they don't recognize what it is. It maybe does it. It looks like uh, some brush or something. It, or it looks. It looks like what they've been running through for the last five hours. Okay. <laughs> there's there's vines. There's brush. There's there's they know they they know that piece of cable ain't a piece of vine. Right. I mean. Do they acknowledge that? Oh, wait a minute. This is a piece of steel. No, they don't do that. But they know the difference between a vine and a woven wire fence. All right. So when they come up and they see that loop, what's a fox do or a coyote do with a woven wire fence? What's he do? Crawls under it. Or a fox. We'll use a fox because you, you take a six-inch woven wire fence. Oh, yeah. What's the fox do? He can get through that. He goes right on through it. Okay. Yeah. Does he know that square is there? He, does he know that's an opening right there? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's why he went through it, right? So when he's trotting up to your snare and he sees that perfectly circle snare, what's what's his mind saying? Well, I'll just hop on through that thing. All right? So what you got to do, a foot in front and a foot on the other side, you got to do what we call the stutter steps. All right? So he can't, so, so you're, 
until you break up his stride, in other words. So if you've got an open, what we call an open loop, all right, an open set where he can physically see that loop, all right, to keep him from leaping through it and, and to make him push through it, you stutter step him. You so make him break his stride up a little bit. Putting a stick or something in the... A little brush or a little bit, something small. Okay. You know, how, guiding at a, on, a, on a foot trap, how big of a guide do you need to make him step in another spot? Not very big. Exactly. A lot smaller than what most people would think. Anything. You know, we, we use we use um, sticks the size of a, a, maybe a pencil would be sometimes large. Yeah, I remember, you know, being at a convention, <clears throat> someone dropping a pencil on the ground where everybody was walking. And, and that was new. Kind of, was it? Okay. Yep. That was new. Yeah. Yep. And he says, and he see how many that. people yep. step on that pencil. And, and, no and, and they walk it. around it. They yep. walk around it or, or, or they <laughs> leap over top of it. Okay. But they won't step on the pencil. It's the same mindset when you're when you're hanging the snare. So, do we try to camouflage? Do we try to hide our, our, our cable loops? Absolutely, you know, right? Because you don't. But I'm not hiding my loop because the animal's coming up and saying, "Oh my gosh, there's a snare there. I can't go around it." That's not why I'm hiding my loop. I'm hiding my loop so he walks up and it's nothing more than something to push through. Yeah, that makes sense push through as opposed to try trying to, to jump, jump through, through. Yeah. yeah 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 so do you do any snaring underwater yeah mm-hmm. um i'm curious I, you know the only snaring i do is under ice beaver snaring here um and and i'm curious your thoughts on uh does does anything change in regards to loading the snare or uh the way the snares function uh f- for underwater versus just land trapping well, first of all, what animals you're dealing with underwater, and here's the key: what animals you're dealing with. Yeah, we're catching beavers here. Okay, you're catching your beavers, but you know, I do I do muskrat snaring also, and and we will set snares underwater for a mink. Okay, now I'm not a great mink man. I'm going to tell you, I'm not a great mink man. I catch a, a few. Okay, yep. you catch more by accident up a main that I catch on purpose. All right, but but with that being said, let's use the beaver as an example. Okay. When a beaver is swimming underwater, what is the body like? What is the beaver otter? What is their body position? Well, uh, I guess I, I, I don't know exactly what you're getting at, but but what I've seen is they, they, uh, they're smooth and flowing way more than uh, you would initially think. They're they're a cylinder, okay? Maybe an oblong cylinder, but they're a cylinder. Yeah. So in other words, where an otter would be a round cylinder. What's his front leg position when he's swimming? It's tucked right into his body. Yeah, it's tucked into their bodies. Okay. So what vertical wall do you have there? Uh, zero. <laughs> exactly. All right. So when you're underwater, what you're doing with your baited and and I suck at baited, snare, uh, baited uh, snares. You know why? We don't get ice. Um, <laughs> okay <laughs> and when we do get ice it's unsafe to walk on and if it does get unsafe to walk on even if i'm walking after by the time i got the whole chop three days later the ice is back unsafe to walk on oh, again. all right and our beaver in the southern portion of the state not the north jersey but the southern portion where i'm from they're they're, they're always able to find food somewhere that's fresh okay and I've tried my baited sticks. I've tried your your sets work suck <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for me. Yeah. But 
But what we will do is we'll hang that snare and that that perp and that channel down in there. Yep. Okay. Just just if they're if they're swimming right along the bottom, you just simply set it right there about an inch, two inches off the bottom. Your your eight nine inch loop. Yep. You know, ten inch loop if it's a big beaver. Now I'm and assuming. And what are they going to do? They're going to catch one. Now most right. of the time they're going to be caught by the haunches. Okay, back by in the back there. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that your 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 beaver's in a different position than mine because when. When I'm bait, yes. when I have a baited pole, that beaver's circling, and I think the back is firing the snare, the outside what, of the snare more than what's, anything. Yeah, what's realistically, if you watch beaver, and I watch the few underwater things, when that beaver's chewing on the stick, his back end is actually dropping down. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, very seldom do you see them staying horizontal, or or they'll grab hold of the pole or whatever. So when they're when they're working that baited stick, uh, with your snares on it, number one is the body position. Number two what is it about movement that's different from the beaver I'm talking about? Uh, they're, slow, not, they're not, they're not moving. Yeah. yeah. They're not moving hard. They're slow and methodical. Okay. They're they're When they, so in other words, when they, they go into that loop and they're chewing on that stick, their heads in there, they, they may be there for, you know, Oh yeah. They uh, could be there a long time. Whatever time. And until they move forward or, or, or go backwards is when you're going to set your snare off. This is one of the things on a standard load snare that we're talking about a swing out. Okay. And this is very critical when you're talking about underwater or even surface water. Okay. When you're talking about swing out and a beaver loop, what size loop are you running for your beavers? I'm doing about the size of my outstretched hand, which I believe is somewhere around nine or it's it's an oblong loop, so I'm using five sixty fourths. Uh, yeah, so you're loop. going you're you're going you're probably going about nine inches high and about like ten or eleven inches. Yeah, thereabouts. Okay. Yep. So so now you have literally a, a roughly a ten inch loop for a swing out. How far is that cable got to move? before the lock crook screws and starts to fire. I don't know. 10 inches. Is it? And in, in... just, just, just look at your it's... circumference. If you, if you got an eight inch loop, okay. Well, what, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it this way for guys who's trying to see where I'm trying to go with that. This, what fires, what is the mechanism that fires the snare? Whether the, whether it's no load, Standard load, overload, or double load. What is the exact mechanism that fires the snare? The um, the the cable that is attached to the lock. The bottom of the cable that is attached that that is attached to the bottom of the lock has got to create a spring. Yep. Okay, or a drag. No loads would be a drag. So, in other words, for that. Lock to start moving, that loaded snare has got to extend out to where it creates a spring strong enough to move the lock. Mm-hmm. On a no load, and I'm using primarily that, no load because on loaded snares, it seems like every time I try to push them through the ice, uh, I fire snares. So. <laughs> you're, using, you're using overloads, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, if, if it's an oblong, but, but you're, you're setting a teardrop, in other words, right? Pretty much. It's not like Jerry Braley's uh, 16th-inch cable. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a little less than that, but yeah, generally. Okay, okay. So on your, on your no load, literally what you have to do is that beaver's got to go into the snare. At some point, portion of the body, wherever that is on the body, 
okay? The bottom of that snare or cable, cable restraint, so, so we're politically correct, okay? <laughs> has got to swing out the length of the loop. So whatever your loop is from the lockdown, that's the distance that's got to swing out. Okay. Follow what I'm saying? I got you, yeah. All right. On your drag, now when he gets there, instead of the lock firing, all right, and closing the distance faster, on a no-load, the, the lock has got to be dragged shut. Yeah. So now, on a no-load system, where on a 9-inch loop, it's got to move 8 to 9 inches before it starts to move the lock, it's going to have to move another 2 or 3 inches to get the lock flowing harder to close on the animal. Yeah. All right. I'm not against no, uh, there, there is a place for no load. And, and I didn't believe that until probably three years ago when I went out to, uh, Mark June's, um, drafting Academy. And then I was, Tom Krause and I was talking in, in, intensely on, on cable. And, uh, I can see why the boys out there in, in those wide open prairie countries use no load. Because on a standard load snare, the wind blows them shut. Okay. Um, on an overload, the wind will blow it shut. <laughs> okay. Um, that's where my double load. My double load is as fast as an overload, but it doesn't blow shot shut because of the. You're pulling two directions. Yeah, they, 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 I, I actually have two mechanisms. One is keeping the pressure back, so I can actually you can actually do a lot of brush buys and it stays open. Mm-hmm. And it's not fired until the bottom of the snare is actually activated, swing out or activated down. But anyway, getting back to what you're saying on your situation there with the, with the cable. That beaver's got to swing out. When you're on a feed stick, reality-wise, with a no-load, when are you catching your beaver? With a, with a no-load, it's when he's got, trying to take that stick off with him. Back to the and house. he's and he's moved X amount of distance and able to drag the, the lock shut, which is usually going to be eight to ten inches. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I have a feeling I'm I, my my snares even when I'm not loading them they're they have, I don't know if it's the cable that I'm using they 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 act like they're they've got a bit of a load to them. Okay, so you probably got a little bit of load, especially if you're using a one by nineteen. Then, if you want to go underwater, that's there's your key, man. One by nineteen. Oh, well, I'm using seven by seven, so that's well, seven by seven is 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 an okay cable, and and I cut my teeth on seven by seven, and 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 uh, but but my preferred is going to be a one by nineteen. What's that mean? It means my preferred is a one by nineteen. That's what it means. And what it, it means, means for me is I haven't tried it yet, so I don't know. You're right. So you know, I, for, you know, I hear the guys say, "Well, you can't catch it unless you're using a one by nineteen. Well, you know, you're catching people on seven by seven, and you like it. So what? Uh, you know what? Seven by seven works. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And if I ain't got no one by nineteen, I'm using seven by seven. All right. With that being said, with a loaded with a swimming beaver, like in my scenario that down here, I'm. I'm going to use a double load because what I want that beaver to do is I want him to hit it, hit the bottom of that, that snare with his, his chest. Mm-hmm. All right. Which is going to create either a downward fire or a swing out fire. But with my dumb, with my double load, I don't need eight to 10 inches of swing out. I only need two inches mm-hmm. because it's got a spring to it. Now I'm not promoting my I'm I'm explaining the differences with all that stuff. Yeah. Your overloads, which would be um I believe there's other names for it, gooseneck, 
Duck Neck, um, Swan's Neck, uh, Eric uh, Space was probably the, uh, the the guru of overloads. Okay. His mink snare was an overload. Okay. It's got that hard, that hard egg shape on the side. Okay. It's a massive spring. It's a, it's a, it's, it's got a massive spring with that massive memory. And I love them except for if you blow on it, it'll fire on its own. <laughs> that's why, that's why the overload in, um, mink sets are so great because yeah, because the mink is not going to hit that very hard, and the wind isn't 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 a factor there. Yep. Okay, now an overloading current is a nightmare. I bet <laughs> because every stick, every every twig, every leaf, every current just just keeps shooting them off. Yeah. All right. I think I'd use a body grip. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys? Can you guys still use body grips there? Yeah, underwater. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I love snares. I probably. 75% of my beaver are snared and I'm going to use the, uh, the scented, uh, pole set. Okay. Um, new showed it, showed that to me many, many, many years ago. I thought he was nuts. I said, what are you trying to do to me? He said, just do it. Shut up and just do it. His typical <laughs> statement, you know, just shut up and do it. <laughs> and, uh, I did it and it, it, it's a charm. Okay. It works. Unbelievable. It's, that's my number one all right, that was it for tonight's episode. We have uh, one more episode with Ron Jones after this. Uh, as part of our interview, we talked about um, trapping as a methods based on location trapper versus a location based on methods trapper. And we got into a bunch of other aspects of trapping and, and uh, really dug deep. So I hope you enjoy that. We'll have that in the next week or so, maybe, maybe the next uh, episode or, or in sometime in the next two or three episodes, we'll see how things go. But uh, thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. A uh, little shout out. If you want to check out um, Ron's lures and baits, you can find him at uh, Rednecks Pride Outdoors and Game Calls. You can find that on Facebook or do a Google search for his website and his ACP Wildlife Services. Also, check out my book if you haven't already got it, Fur Profit, A Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. haven't mentioned the book in quite a few episodes now, so I wanted to shout that out for people who haven't picked up a copy. I really appreciate that. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, on trappingtoday.com, and from a number of different trapping supply dealers. So check that out, Fur Profit, A Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market, and it's about 12 bucks. So I uh, can't go wrong, learn a little bit more about the fur market, and uh, check out Ron Jones for more information, uh, a lot of great stuff out there, and thank you again, we will catch you on the next episode.